Thank you for listening to the following films podcast. Today I'm joined by legendary director Uva Bull. I had Bull on the show to discuss his return to filmmaking after a self-imposed early retirement. We also discuss what a pain in the ass it is to shoot car scenes, the pleasures of shooting in New York City, and I look for some recommendations on where to find authentic German cuisine. Big thanks to Bookmans for sponsoring this episode and to Fort Worth for letting us use their song at the end. If you'd like to connect with the show, the best place to find us online is at followingfilms.com or on Twitter by following at followingfilms. Please leave us a review and follow the show on Spotify. It really does help. Or you can support this podcast by going to anchor.fm slash followingfilms slash support. Bull's latest project, 12 Hours, is currently in post-production, and I couldn't be more excited to check it out when it comes out later this year. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Okay, perfect. perfect. There we go. Well, yeah. thank you so much for taking time out of your day to do this. I really appreciate it. No, don't worry. It's all good. Good. So uh, you just traveled back in. Where were where were you? Are you are you currently filming? Are you in South Africa right now, or what are you no, doing? No, no. I changed the plan with the South African film Twelve Hours hmm. uh, because we couldn't get us a big enough star. Basically, I tried uh, various actors and it didn't work. I think uh, what happened in the last few years because of the streamers, the people are so heavily booked. Yeah. And getting so many offers, so it's actually tougher to get uh, uh, top-notch actors. So I changed. Um, I wrote basically a script first shift about two police officers uh, who have their first shift, basically, and we shot it in Brooklyn. So I just came back from this, and uh, so from New York um, with Gino Pizzi, uh, Kristen Renton, uh, Gary Pastore. He was in 10 uh, Scorsese films. Um, uh, Daniel Soli, who was the bad guy in The Deuce, was James Franco. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, J- James Megaman, he was in Orange is the New Black. So um, Jive can actually send you the, the press release with all the cast. So I think we had a very good ensemble cast. And the film plays in one day. So it's like the first basically going through 12 hours with that uh, uh um cops right so uh wait one second i have to answer my wife here one second <laughs> that, that, that obviously yeah. takes so because uh, she thinks she has to, she's downstairs and she thinks she has uh, uh uh to come up because i i said i maybe need your computer but i didn't my computer works fine here so it's all good sorry about that okay oh, totally fine totally fine so then how was uh shooting in brooklyn how long did you shoot for yeah, it was it was a good and a bad experience at the same time. So it was, um, uh, I mean, the locations are just amazing. I mean, we shot in Long Island, <clears throat> Manhattan, uh, Queens, everywhere. It's like a road movie, right? So, <clears throat> and that was the good part. The, the actors were very good, very motivated. They had a lot of fun. And I actually used like side stories from other things I've wrote over the last 10 years. And I integrated them. And, and I, for example, I had a, uh, a script written, <clears throat> never finished. And I, I felt like something is missing where like an old guy gets a heart attack, gets to, into the hospital and his dog is still in front of the supermarket. And then I, I, I had yeah. always planned to do a film. What happened to that dog then? And this is now part of First Shift. 
and uh, it fits very good like because i never got a real full script written about the subject and Mm -hmm. i felt but there would be a great episode what can happen at the day when then the cops find the dog you know and to find out uh, who's the owner so what, what are we doing bring it to the shelter or something you know so and uh i think that works very well and I have two other little episodes, <clears throat> what I wrote for for basically a gangster film. And so I used a lot of mafia guys we know, like the Gary Pastora and actors like this, mm-hmm. uh, who played a lot in that in that Irishman and this kind of films, Sopranos. And they have a, a day where two killers kill basically a guy who stole money, but then they're getting killed from their own superiors because they were watched doing the killing. So, and that is also a side plot and um, complicated was, was it? I shot in New York before on a sound on wall street, but not the full movie, mm-hmm. uh, just only scenes. And uh, uh, also alone in the dark part two, where I, what I only produced shot a little there. Mm-hmm. And, um, but this time a full film was very stressful because it's a total, it's just chaos in New York. You have, it doesn't stop because you're there. No, no, exactly. And you have like, when you have two locations and as a road movie, it was a logistic nightmare because to get somewhere uh, from A to B with like 10 cars, they're all getting lost. They're all, you know, like then you don't have, even if you had some parking reserved somewhere, half of the people don't find the, the reserve parking. And it's it's very complicated logistically uh, uh, to shoot the film, and we had we had uh, basically <clears throat> do my emails here off, and we had basically also uh, let's say a half good crew and a very good crew. As you know, it's it was like they were not even on the same level, Got and it. there were like a few people they were really bad at their job and. The, <laughs> Other people who were extremely good. And so it was like we had to compensate a lot, you know, so that I was basically my own AD for most of the time. Too. Oh, no. uh, yeah. So to get things coordinated. And um, and it's also like this, this kind of um, I'm used to do bigger action sequences, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, and there were not in, the, in that film where most, was, was more tension. It was suspense. And it was some uh, shooting and violence, but it was not like Rampage or a Southern Wall Street. <clears throat> so, and for me and my DP, that was very easy. But for a lot of the crew, there was, I had the feeling, the biggest action scenes they ever did before. And uh, that was, um, yeah, it was, so it was a hard shoot, but I think the movie looks great. And uh, I have um, Ethan Manikis. He uh, edited uh, uh, Sin City, uh, mm. From Duster Down, Mashidi. He even directed Mashidi. Uh, oh, wow. So he's doing the editing. And I met him last year in L.A. And he said he loved Postal. And uh, he said I would, he would love to do something uh, uh, for me or with me. And then I asked him, would you edit that film? And he said, I totally would do it. And then uh, so now he's doing it. And it's very good because to have somebody who has a totally different view maybe on some stuff um, and brings a different, um, yeah, uh, a different style into something, it maybe it's interesting, you know, to Absolutely. see what he comes back with. And uh, we shot with the with the uh, Alexa 
uh, in widescreen, like a cinemascope, theatrical, 5K. So it's, uh, I think it will look very good. And uh, I think the actors were very good. Um, and we see, you know, so I'm, I'm curious when we get the, uh, first I let always do the editor his own cut, you know, so that he can present to me like here that that is how I would do it before I come up with notes. Because if you feed the editor too much notes before, I think, um, you give a chance away that, that, you know, that because when you're on set, you maybe think about some shots different as to somebody who just sees the yeah well and they have the chance to take their interpretation of it instead of just going down this path that you would so they could see something maybe that you don't and they could find a moment that maybe you didn't see because i'm sure in your mind you have a version of the film already and then if they can come up with something that maybe you didn't see that's that's collaboration that's how you get the best thing and at the end you still get the credit for it. So it's not a bad thing. <laughs> no, I, I agree. And it's, it's, uh, uh, I, I always like when people coming in with a, a fresh idea too, because there are a lot of these little episodes in it and you can spread them out over the film or you tell them as one block. And then, mm. you know, and then that is the thing, what you have to find in the editing room, this rhythm, you know, do you have the cops and then the mafia guys and then the old guy and the cops and it goes back and forth and it all gets solved at one point? Or uh, is it more like closed episodes? I mean, every episode, of course, this cops getting involved in the end. They find the dead bodies or, you know, or they arrest somebody. And uh, so it could be like, individual like stories going Hmm. one after the other or it all happens parallel and we're going back and forth between that the 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 episodes so then do you in your mind do you think of it that way where it's kind of like a vignette to some degree where you're moving from sort of thing to thing these little interstitial these stories it's almost like a uh is it something where it's you're telling all these little individual stories but the through liner following these two police officers through the day yeah so i think we have to 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 tell for the audience like a, a, a parallel starting of everything, but mm-hmm. then the police gets involved and then the, the episode gets like in a way finished, you know, and then and then the, the next thing happens because I I don't want to uh, like from my perspective I don't want to um, I want to keep the 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 hours up to the shift is continuing. Right, you know, and I keep want to tell it logically, like whatever, you know, when the two mafia guys killing the guy, uh, then they have to get killed themselves, of course, hours later. So that is what I would then tell it the way that it happened very early on in the shift, and then later when it actually matters, like when when they getting killed, that is where the police comes involved, basically. But we we keep it streamlined to the. Uh, uh, to the actual time, uh, uh, the timing of the 12 hour shift. And it's also like, we did a lot of like Gino and Kristen, um, they did a lot of improv too. Like, you know, when you drive in the car so long, we had, we had scenes written how they meet this, the first day they work together. Right. And he's not really excited about it. So, and she's all over him in a way that she loves to work with him. And she's happy to be in New York because she's from Atlanta and just came to, to Brooklyn. And uh, so you have this kind of buddy comedy humor in it. And, um, but then they don't have time to continue because they have actually things to do. Yeah. then the reality kicks in in a way and they have to team up and partner up 
um and uh on the way from the things they they I, a lot of times it's always car driving scenes are very tough to shoot because normally you hear it only in the van driving behind them or in front of them because in the in the car is no no space so right. uh, you know and then you just hear it and then with the walkie you say like okay you know what uh like skip that part and do it again you know and then stuff or uh, and then, of course, a lot of times because New York is so used to so much in traffic jam. So yeah. and I said, look, whatever, tell yourself stories about your childhood, you know, and then they got very autobiographic about themselves. And it was good. I think that it's actually uh, it comes so natural. And with the situation that the actors kind of like are stuck in the car with the camera guy. And yeah. we had like cameras installed in, in the front sometimes. And then the camera guy was also on the side seat and one was on the back seat. So, mm-hmm. you know, you pan back and forth. And then, of course, the other way around, you have the, the, the camera only on the back seat and you pan back and forth with, between them. And then you have the camera on the hood for the same thing. But then, you know, but then you cannot have anybody in the car because if the camera's on the hood and you see the two guys yep. through the windshield, then the, ca- the car is totally empty. And there you have also the problem, like, uh, you cannot be behind them with your camera vans, so you are in front of them, you know? And then you have to always see, like, where are they? Where are they? Because you don't want to, like, you know, it's uh, it, car driving scenes are scheiße. You know, it's like, it's very, <laughs> it's very exhausting. But uh, uh, but it works because, I mean, what do you want to do if you do a film like this? So, yeah. Well, you have to, especially, I mean, you're essentially doing a road picture in that. And yeah. then it, it's a it's a damn nightmare if you're actually shooting out in the streets trying to get continuity right because you find a moment here and there that you want to put together. But then it might not look yeah. right because of the, the, the clouds were different at that moment or the background yeah. totally doesn't match. And I mean, yeah. you, you just take for granted. You have to that people that know the city will look at that and be like, wait a minute, that's not right. That isn't how that works. Because anytime you're seeing your city filmed, you're like the place that they just went, it took 30 seconds, but that was actually 40 miles from one another or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it is. So those kinds of things. And that's the, yeah. it's an invisible thing that happens. Hopefully just the local people will see it, but the rest of us yeah. that aren't from there, will never know. No, we had, for example, there's a scene they have to at the courthouse where now Trump was in the same courthouse recently. So we shot, you know, we shot there yeah. and it's like, they basically have to give an evidence box to the DA. And the DA guy comes down the stairs and takes the box. They park the car quickly, and the guy goes, oh, get the box done. The problem is when you do the scene, and then you want to do the scene again because it's a one-way road, mm-hmm. you have to circle completely around to total traffic chaos, you know, to come back to, to that you can drive again to your – we had reserved parking there that the, the, the police car could pull in, right? Mm-hmm. But we didn't have – the the road completely blocked because it would be crazy for a scene like you couldn't this. bear no no and and so now you have of course as soon as the scene was done but then you say okay we need a tighter and then you go tighter but then they have to circle all the way around and you wait like half an hour standing there everybody was ready to shoot but uh you know and then but that the car didn't came so that is stuff then that costs a lot of time mm-hmm. uh where you feel uh oh god yeah but the good thing is in New York, and I had that on the south of Wall Street too, uh, 
nobody really cares what you're doing. You know, there is not no nobody looks into the camera. They, right. they know that it's a lot of film shoots going on and they don't really care. And the police also, you know, if you just stop the car at one point in traffic and you you uh, just park where you shouldn't park or something, it's not that they actually flip out on you. Right. And that is Vancouver different. In Vancouver, <laughs> the downtown is so small yeah. that, that they are right there, right? And they're like, what are you doing here? Keep keep moving, you know? Then then you actually have to block the whole road. And that is a bigger procedure because then you, you go with the police and you have the four or five police cars blocking the road for half an hour and you have a total traffic jam. And that is in New York easier in a way to just do it. Because they're indifferent. They don't care. And so it won't yeah. slow anything down in that way, which there's advantages and disadvantages to that, I guess. But so with Vancouver, did you used to live in Vancouver or is that, yeah. that's where you opened your restaurant, right? Yeah. So from 2013 to 220, I uh, lived in Vancouver and um, with, with the whole family. My wife is from Vancouver. Oh, and, okay. Uh, yeah. And we had the Bauhaus restaurant. And then at the beginning of the pandemic, we closed. I mean, we had to close. There was a shutdown, but we also had problems with the with the landlord all the dead years. And so we wrapped it up, sold it all. And I said, okay, let's move back to Germany. Uh, because I saw, you know, when I said 2016, like after Rampage 3, I'm done. I'm not doing films anymore. Right. It was this kind of reaction to the DVD business and Blockbuster and everything is over. Right. So now... My films were always extremely strong in home video. Like, so most of the revenues came from this yep. side. And um, and that was over. And I didn't, at that point, didn't saw the explosion of streamers. Like, and the explosion of possible uh, rights you can use again and you can sell again. And yeah. then a few years later, now uh, I felt like, you know, I should make movies again. Because now are various other options. It's not anymore. In earlier years, the disadvantage was on 35, very expensive with the lab and everything. Now with digital, it's cheaper uh, to shoot in general with the with the rental equipment and no lab costs. It just did. And um, then you also have this kind of, if you don't got the big theatrical release 10, 15 years ago, you were kind of dead. You know, you yeah. you uh, you landed nowhere, and now it doesn't really matter anymore. As if it's good for a streamer or just for uh, Paramount Plus or, or Hulu, whatever it is, um, there is money to make, and they need product all the time. So I felt like, why not? You know, I mean, uh, most of the streamers, like at least Netflix and Amazon and Apple, and so have my films, yeah. uh, and so. Um, yeah, I felt, okay, let's come back. And then in Germany, for me, it was easier to uh, to go in contact to the uh, streamers. They are, have all local offices. Oh, and I didn't realize in a that. way, they were more like uh, open for ideas, you know, to, to actually pitch things and you get an answer. That was for me in Germany uh, easier. And for international productions, then they made the contacts. Today's episode of the Following Films Podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. This week, I went into Bookman's and I was looking for a film, 
something that reminded me of a film festival, be it a film that got its start in a film festival or something that was perhaps about the experience of going to a film festival. I went over and looked through the 4K discs and the Blu-rays and the DVDs. Nothing was really jumping out immediately. So I went over to the box set section and I came across Ingmar Bergman's cinema. If you're not familiar, Bergman was a master storyteller who startled the world with his stark intensity and naked pursuit of the most profound metaphysical and spiritual questions. The struggles of faith and morality, the nature of dreams, and the agonies and ecstasies of human relationships. Bergman explored all of these subjects in films ranging from comedies, whose lightness and complexity belie their brooding hearts to groundbreaking formal experiments and excruciatingly intimate explorations of family life. Arranged as a film festival, with opening and closing nights, bookending double features and centerpieces, this selection spans six decades and 39 films, including such celebrated classics as The Seventh Seal, Persona, and Fanny and Alexander, alongside previously unavailable works like Dreams, The Right, and Brink of Life. It's also accompanied by a 248-page book with essays on each film. This particular box set has been something of a white whale for my collection, something I've had my eye on for years, and I've just never felt the need to pull the trigger on it. But then I walked into Bookman's and there it was. And the price was so incredibly reasonable, I had to pick it up. This is something that I've been wanting to dive into for a long time because with uh, Bergman's filmography, I have a lot of blind spots and I'm really excited to dive in and um, learn more about his work because every time I've gone and watched one of his films, I'm always struck by how his work has been so influential that you can go back and look at these films and you'll see images or themes or just these kind of ideas that he brings up or that he executes in a way that have had just this profound impact on filmmaking. And you start to see, I guess, what feel like tropes later on, but this is the source. This is where they came from. And it's just really fun to go back and uh, dive into this work. And so I'm really excited to start going and seeing some of these films that I've never seen before. And so was able to get this at Bookman's and you should go to Bookman's too and see what you might uncover. Remember Bookman's has your cool covered. Enjoy the show. And then you get, you get, uh, uh, also there now, uh, I have people in every like Apple and so on. They're looking, uh, looking into my uh, projects, you know? So, and, uh, <clears throat> the thing with, with 12 hours was I had the feeling like we cannot get it done without me attaching a real name. Right. And, you know, and that was the catch 22. And that was the reason for now we revised the script again, but for now uh, I want to go back into casting that film and um, to see where, where I will land, you know, but the, it's tougher. It's easier to sell things to the streamers as to convince them to give you the whole money to make the production with you. Got it. So you finish it on your end, find independent financing, and then you have a finished product that you can just sell yeah. them outright instead of them taking a chance on something that they can't yeah. see yet. Okay. Yeah. And it gets also more complicated, right? If you do an Amazon original or Netflix original, <clears throat> then all that uh, organization 
the the you know like they have their own budget department they have their own you know they have tons of controls and everything gets slower uh and more expensive i mean i still would be doing it uh but it's in a way if i can shoot the films the way i want it and then you have basically them giving you the money after it's also uh good and then is that something that you would sell that in perpetuity you would sell or is it just a limited time window of limited. time that you would, limited time so then yeah you can re- revisit these every couple of years and find new homes for them that's a yeah it's actually a really it interesting also, model we, yeah we found a new uh a guy louis justin is his name he's doing right now 4k mm-hmm. variations of my older films in la in a lab so to do a postal new like a new mastering and nice. uh, because all that films were only like 2k right right and, and i think uh in 4k uh in the name of the kings th- things like this have they can make real more like general like uh new uh, uh, revenues and uh so he will hold the home video because he will like do new blu-rays new dvds mm-hmm. but we get the streaming right oh, so cool. and, and yeah there was a good trade-off because then i can go to netflix again and say look in the name of the king in 4k um that should be a, a value you know so uh, because it looks different and um i'm sure we can sell a lot of product again um and I, we start i think we do five films first tunnel rats uh postal um blood rain okay yeah uh, you know so and uh, in the name of the king the rights are with fox still but uh, I'm the problem is that in Fox, everybody I worked with got fired. Yeah, with the you Disney know? thing. So now, yes. So now yeah. you don't even know who you want to ask if we can do a 4K, maybe making a deal with Fox. You know, that we say we do the 4K, but you uh, give us the streaming rights back. And then you can do the DVD new or the Blu-ray, you know, or... Yeah. Uh, or whatever, we omit the contract. It's maybe another two or three years, and right. uh, that we just <clears throat> call it a day, and they don't have to account to me anymore. And then we take, we make new deals. So, well, is Rampage on the list of ones that you'll be revisiting and redoing? Uh, no, uh, it, it, I would love to do it, but the problem is one of is, my favorites of yours, honestly. So, yeah, I, I Rampage one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, there's a good point, but. We were looking everywhere when Technicolor went bankrupt, you know, so uh, on a bankrupt, but got closed. A lot of prints and intermit positive, intermit negative, yeah. in a way, disappeared. So I had a few in my basement. Then we found a few in an uh, LTC, like a lab in France. Then I found one in a uh, one, like tunnel rats. I found only a print on eBay. So wow. we bought the print. To have at least a 35 millimeter because we could never <clears throat> like we that was really like in a way sloppy from us like from me and my team that you didn't saw the value to keep everything in stock like the right. 35 millimeter negatives and so on and uh yeah and now we pay the price for it but rampage definitely i want to i don't want to find a print you know i sold a lot of prints to a guy like 10 years ago like prince not the negatives or positives mm-hmm. prince he came with a truck to vancouver and he he bought like 30 40 prints from various films like wow. a real, he was a collector and then i emailed now on facebook i put everywhere like 
I don't have the contact anymore, but I want to get back in contact with him to ask what prints he had because yeah. he could rent, rent it to me or send it to the lab in LA. We do the 4K and he can get the print back. But uh, I cannot find the contact anymore. It's, it's like I'm so stupid. Because uh, uh, whatever, in my address book, are maybe 8,000 people like on, on the mail program, right? And email works. And if you don't have the name, and I put very search things in to find in old emails, like 35 millimeter prints, whatever. Yeah, nothing. No. Oh, God. No, yeah. I'm, I, I'm sorry to bring to have brought that up. No, no, but it's like, no, but I mean, I, I regret it, you know, that I never, that I never uh, proper stored the stuff because I felt always here's the stuff and there's in the lab. Yeah. And then, then whatever they, a lot of times they didn't even email you like, okay, we're wrapping it up. Should we destroy the stuff or not? Or stop something like this. Well, so, yeah. one of the, it's one of the things that's really wonderful about films, the way they're being made now is there's this window of the first hundred years of filmmaking. There's things that have been lost to time that we'll never be able to find again. Wonderful movies that were just gone. Yeah. And now at least with things being shot on digital, it's as long as it stays on a hard drive, there'll be no issues with denigration that it'll just stay there as yeah. it is. So it's a really a wonderful thing, especially because you could look at this now and say you shot something in 5K and then maybe 10 years from now, we're looking at 8K, 10K films and those, those kind of restorations. And you look at that and you have the complete package that you could go back and just upgrade it at that point, which is wonderful. Yeah. When you have the raw footage, basically. Exactly. Right? So, yeah. And that is the, I agree. I mean, but I still like 35 more. It looks so different. It still looked different. You know, you come very close now with the right lenses and so on, but it's the fascination is different. It, it's yeah. there's something about that chemical reaction that you can't recreate with digital. It's something, you know, whether you're using a digital squib for blood or if you actually have a squib that's on a person, the thing that's actually there for whatever reason, no matter how good that digital looks. There's just something in our brains that just, I think, connects more to something that was really there for, I don't know what that is. There's a psychology there for sure, but it's just something tactile that I think we viscerally react to. Yeah. And I mean, when you grow up with, with the, the old fashioned Hollywood films, mm -hmm. I always loved this, this kind of colors too. Yeah. You know, not not the super realistic colors, more like what whatever you see, Jaws from Steven Spielberg or something, mm -hmm. right? It's not the real life visual, but I don't want the real life visual. No. I, the fairy tale visual, basically, I, li I like that more. Yeah. That, that's a good point. And that digital gets a little bit too close until you start color correcting and everything to real life, where it's almost that the that trick that plays where you know we can only see there's that blending that happens that makes motion look real that where we have images that stay in the back of our mind for a moment and when you're going into digital it's just it's it can be too too honest that it, it's weird that it's too much like yeah. reality that our yes. suspension of disbelief it just kicks in for some reason which is very strange i guess yeah, we, because i don't i don't want to watch tv shows like 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 a film i don't want to watch that it looks like uh, a dateline, no, you know, so exactly. that is the thing. And a lot of TV shows now looking like this. You cannot see the, do the documentary or feature difference in 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 the look. And I liked always things they look like on screen. Like you look something on screen, and now it's in TV, but it still looks like I I watched it in a movie theater. <laughs> so that that is yeah. that is kind of a, but I mean it, it is what it is. We we live with it. I mean the big advantage in today's time is really like you can 
uh, cheat a lot with like, you know, various little cameras. They're in 4K. You have them installed somewhere to film additional footage. And uh, I mean, it it costs almost nothing to 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 have in the end a hundred hours of footage to yeah. make a nine minutes film. But on 35 millimeter, it would oh. be a total disaster. You know, it would say like, oh, that take was enough now. And and uh, uh, because you know you would you know you would you would go in the million in lab costs in the end. Oh, for sure. I mean, you you nailed it. I mean, we all have a 4K camera in our back pocket now yeah. at this point. So it's like it's you can like you were talking about shooting in that car for you know 12 hours. The idea you can have those little cameras that are put up in the quality. If you were looking at smaller cameras, smaller digital cameras 10 years ago, they, they looked like security footage. They didn't look like they do now. So it's it's exactly. the quality is incredible and it gives you those that that versatility that you didn't have before. So, I mean, yeah. there's it's the ebb and flow the up and down the disadvantage and the advantage and i think like anything else it's a it's like choosing the specific palette that you want to work with um for yeah. a certain and if you're it's the servicing the story i think that's when it really matters so yeah, yeah. to me but i i i when we're are you expecting a cut of the film now that you're in the editor's um, hands when I want that it, it maybe runs in Toronto at the film festival September. That oh, good. would uh, wow. work good. You know, I mean, I mean uh, my, the little doggy here flips out. And <laughs> I, have, I have two, one, one big one, a boxable mastiff. And then we got this from my wife's mom because he couldn't, uh, she was well, too old. She could not even yeah. walk, walk anymore. So, uh, and uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so September is, I think, a good time uh, uh, to show the film. Maybe first in one or two film festivals, and then we <clears throat> we go from there. Well, I'm excited that you're that you're back because you're one of those filmmakers that every movie of yours I've ever seen, I've never been bored. It's something that you always yeah. <laughs> make interesting stuff. You know, there's stuff that I like more than others, but it's always, I'm always interested in what you're doing. So I, when you took a little break, it was one of those things that I was sad to see you go. I'm sad now that I don't get to try out Bauhaus because that was one of the, you know, when I go to cities, it's one of the first things I do is I look, okay, what's the food I need to see in the city yeah. when I'm traveling. And that was one of the ones that was on my list. Cause I don't know anything about German cuisine. And this was something that I wanted to get introduced because there's, there's a hole. We don't see it here really at all. So you have to travel to Germany. There we go. Well, I, 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 I yep. there's, there's a good reason we, me and my wife were literally 20 minutes before we jumped on this call talking about, yep. okay, next year, where are we going? And that was Europe is definitely what we're going to do. Yep. So it was, now, if you going? fly to Frankfurt, I live 20 minutes away from the Frankfurt airport. Oh, wow. And that, that, yeah. So, and then we definitely can meet for dinner there in Frankfurt or around. I live in Mainz. You know, it's the Rheingau uh, uh, region by Frankfurt, very sunny and a lot of wineries and very good food. So you, that you, I, had, you I, had me at wine. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And uh, no, that is that is uh, is perfect. And uh, that was a little one of the reasons I wanted to come back is this kind of you have in Europe so close, so much culture. Right. So you have and different food, whatever. I drive two hours. I'm in Strasbourg in France, yeah. you know, in the Alsace. So it's like in Vancouver, you're kind of stranded there mm. because where you want to drive to Seattle for what? I mean, you know, like it's it's yeah. not like Seattle will do the big difference to Vancouver. And right. then, uh, um, you know, and it's it's always this kind of uh, easier in Europe to get around quicker. 
Yeah. You know, so you can fly from Frankfurt in two hours. You're in Barcelona in the south of Spain. Two hours flying time, like 200 bucks ticket. And that is what I love, right? My wife too. And she said, oh, it's it's just like this, this opportunities you have. And uh, um, that was the reason for me. I was kind of bored in, in Vancouver. I loved making films there. But if you don't do films, then it's this kind of like, so what I'm doing here right now, you know? So, uh, yeah, that, that is the same. But well, I, I'm, the, the, I, I'm I happy you're back. Yeah, that is good. And I and I appreciate it. And I, I, I feel also um, there are so many films done. And I mean, I'm like you. I watch and watch and watch, right? So, and a lot of things, a lot of films, they're never coming to the point. And I try to make films straight in your face, like this kind of like, going to the point is my strong side yeah. and I, I think that uh, that is kind of missing you know it's it's uh, uh i watch a lot you know and a lot of things i feel always like what's the point of this why i spent the time now keep watching this on our tv series where you have after two uh, episodes where yeah. you feel I saw that a hundred times and I just don't want it anymore, you know, like stuff like this. And uh, I try to be original and do different things and also not uh, doing always the same genre and stuff like doing, doing basically from, from thriller to horror, to crime, to drama, uh, yeah. to, to really change things. And I, and I think that that's something we're all like that. It's um, as people who take in, you know, that watch things. Most of us watch everything. We watch, we don't yeah. just watch horror films. We don't just watch science fiction. Most people watch a little bit of everything. And I think as a creator, um, oftentimes people will pigeonhole themselves into this one thing instead of expressing themselves through all these different genres. And I think it's great that you do that. I, because I get that to me as a fan of film, I, that's how I would want to yeah. be as well. I recently did a new commentary for that 4K version on Blood Red, so to do a new a director's commentary. Oh, nice. And so I watched the film and, and talked over it. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of, <clears throat> the film now is like 14 or 15 years old, right? So, And I felt like uh, that is an unbelievable cast like unbelievable cast for genre films, like uh, one star after the other is in it, but it's also gory and sexy and classic. You know, it's this kind yeah. of like, uh, uh, um, I liked it more as I liked it when it got bashed by the reviewers. And I think if they would revisit the film and watch it again, a lot of people would maybe change their opinion about it. And uh, because there was so much crap, produced in the last 15 years with this kind of fantasy and, and vampires that they would maybe appreciate a little more like uh, Roger Corman style, uh, yeah. you know, bl bloody, uh, harsh, R-rated uh, uh, fantasy stuff, you know? So, and uh, so I'm happy that, that it will come back out and, and maybe gets uh, revisited too. Yeah. Well, it's it, recontextualizing. We see a lot of that in the last couple of years, especially in the, um, streaming and home video market were films that were ignored or kind of being rechampioned and, you know, brought oh. back to life now. And I, I'm all for that because I, one thing that's true is that I've changed in the last 20 years. Yeah. So there's things that I may have not have enjoyed in my twenties that I can go back now in my forties and revisit and I'll find a whole new appreciation for them. So yeah, I'm always willing to give something another shot. So I think yeah. it's uh, important to be that way, but 
I, thank you so much for taking yeah. the time to do this today, man. I really yeah. appreciate it. It was a pleasure to meet you. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad to see you're back. I'm, I'm excited. Okay, thanks so much. Awesome. Yeah, send me the link. I will post it too, right? So and, Will do. Uh, yeah, I, I will have yeah. this up early next week. It'll probably be up Monday or Tuesday. Perfect. Thanks so awesome. much. Thank okay. you. It was nice to meet you. Take care. Bye-bye. Can I Bye leave now. you taped it all? It's all good? Or, oh, I'm good. Yeah, I got everything. Yep, got everything I needed. Okay, bye. Awesome. bye thank bye. you. Bye-bye. Time enough to figure you out Time enough to write this down Wish me luck, give me hope
always crack.